0: one to neglect. And perhaps it's because it carries with it such a power that the enemy will do whatever it takes to detour us into good things. And many times it's not to evil things, but just to good things, which are the enemy of the best. And if the devil can keep us from the best, with the with better or with good, then we've missed God's potential for us. And so I think we're dealing with, in, in the Christian life, perhaps the hardest area to develop, and one of the first to be neglected. And uh, I'm persuaded that it's because of the effectiveness of that specific area. Everything else depends upon it. And the Bible says that the flesh profiteth nothing. And there's an awful lot that we can do in religious activities that simply are the fruits of fleshly energies. But that which is born of flesh is still flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And so it's imperative for us if we want to give spiritual birth, if we want the Holy Spirit of God to move, then it's, it's got to be through that avenue of relationship and contact with God. And, and there is uh, just so much that can be done through, through self-energy and, and uh, organization without power, without the presence uh, and the manifestation of God's spirit. It profits nothing. The flesh still profits nothing. Uh, having a name that liveth but are dead, that's the statement that's made to that church in Revelation, Now they had a reputation of being alive They they had a name that lived. They had a reputation for for being alive, but they weren't alive. What was it? It was simply fleshly excitement, emotional energy. There's a lot of difference between emotional energy, emotional-ism, and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, now when the Spirit of God moves, there can and will be some emotional energy released but it's not enough just to induce emotional energy. If that alone is is all that's there, it'll soon profit nothing, but it is the spirit that still gives life. Can you say amen? There's no other way that the Holy Spirit can abide within us and through us except through vital contact with the source. He is the source of power and of life. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's that dimension. And oh, it will overflow through the human vessel and through the human channel and the emotions and the intellect and all of that's involved, but it will still spring from that internal source that's deep inside that is like our God. We are made in his image. And the flesh profits nothing, but the spirit will produce life. So this particular Psalm that that we have before us, I've been reading uh, and the Lord dealing with me in my own life, a book called Revival Praying by Leonard Ravenhill. Here's what he, an observation in one of the chapters that he, he writes, the disciples did not request Lord teach us to preach although they had heard him preach very often. And you remember the words even of the enemies of the Lord that said, never a man spake like this man. He speaks as one having authority and not as the scribes. And they had heard him speak. They were acquainted with his, his preaching but they never once asked him, Lord, teach us to preach. But after observing him in prayer, they did say, We would like to know how you gain access the way you do into heaven and and to the the Father. And they requested, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. And I thought that was an interesting observation. And uh, coming from him directly to, to my own heart, Lord, teach us how to pray. If, in fact, the words of Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount state, Your Heavenly Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask, why pray? God being omniscient, He knows all things. The Bible says He knows our down sitting, He knows our uprising. He knows my thoughts afar off. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows when a sparrow falls and takes notice of it. He has numbered the hairs of my head and he knows all the details about me. Since our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask, why pray? What is prayer all about? What does it accomplish? We're not certainly dispensing information to God. He has that information already. So prayer is not necessarily then for God's benefit, but our benefit. There is a need in me that is met by prayer. And so it's not nearly so much by getting through to God, but in fact, prayer is a means of God getting through to me. And when we see prayer in that dimension, God has all the information already, whether it's physical or financial or social or whatever the need is, he knows about it. More details than we know about it. He knows even the motivations of men's hearts, so he's equipped with all the information. So there's there's no real benefit in just simply giving him all that information And sometimes we're frustrated and we say, I just don't feel like I've gotten through to God. Well, the problem is, he hasn't been able to get through to us. And the Lord sometimes must feel like, my words don't get through if he's up there, the floor. He's just not getting his message through to us because prayer is to align ourselves in identification with the will of God. And uh, I'm convinced David understood part of that in the Psalm that we have here, Psalm 86. 35 times he refers to himself. I, me, thy servant, uh, different personal pronouns. Now he's not just praying a selfish prayer, David, Needs a miracle. And if my ears were hearing right tonight, I heard people during prayer time who were really saying, God, I must have a miracle. I'm in this service tonight and I need to see God make bare his holy arm and be Jehovah Jireh for me to be my provider. I need a miracle, God. I'm in a situation where unless I see God move, we sang that chorus, learning to lean, and that's just not an easy school to be enrolled in. Uh, When you cannot lean on anything else, then we lean on the Lord. Human nature being what it is, generally if we have somewhere else to lean, we will. And so when God takes all the other props away, then we say, oh God, let me lean on you and he's there, he's there. David, I'm not sure when this was, if it was when he was being pursued by Saul or whether he was being betrayed by his son Absalom, I'm not sure when this was, but I know one thing, he was in desperate trial and he was in a difficult place. He needed God desperately. And so let's take a look at, at this particular psalm tonight and study the prayer of David. Now this is your time of Bible study, so if you've got thoughts you'd like to share, we'll learn and receive them together, so if you just raise your hand, we'll be glad to, uh, to share uh, your thoughts too. <clears throat> Instead of reading all of these verses and taking that time to do this, let me just indicate something that I have done And maybe you would want to do some of the same thing. He not only refers to himself, but he refers to God 17 times in these 17 verses. He uses three different names of God in his prayer. And I think he understood. He had some very definite convictions about God. And if we're going to pray, we need to have a clear picture of who and what the Lord is. And uh, so let's just share those together. Uh, And uh, I have done a particular thing. I don't know if you mark your Bible up, but I do. And when I read it over the next time, those thoughts come back to my mind and, and nourish me again. So if you... Uh, have a nice, neat little Bible, I would suggest that you put that one by your bed and use it for devotions. When you come on Thursday night, bring an old one with you, that you're not afraid to put some notes in and uh, put some markings by. I think it'll help you uh, as you go back and go over them again. If, if you would like to put a circle around uh, these uh, names for God in verse 2, I put a circle around Uh, around my God. Verse 10, he says, thou art God. Verse 14, O God, the proud are risen against me. Verse 15, he says, God, O Lord, thou art God. Put a circle around the word God. And that word he is using is Elohim. Then if you'd like to put a square, I've put a square around these next ones. Verse 1, O Lord, hear me. Verse 3, be merciful unto me, O Lord. A square there. Verse 5, for thou, Lord, art good. Put a square around Lord there in that verse 5. Verse 6, give ear to O Lord, again, a different word for God. Uh, Put a square there. Verse nine, all the nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord. Verse 12, I will praise thee, O Lord. Verse 15, but thou, O Lord, art a God. Put a square around that one. And the word he's using here is Jehovah. The third name that he uses, if you'd like to put, I've put just kind of a little cross by this one. In verse 8, different word for God. Among the gods, there is none like unto thee, O Lord. You'll notice the capital L, small O-R-D. And if you wanna identify that whatever way you would like to, a different name for God. Verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. And you'll notice again, uh, put a little cross beside that one. Verse 12, it's translated, my God. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God verse 17 show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou Lord hath helped me and comforted me and the name he's using is Adonai three different names for God the name Elohim is used, they tell me, 250 uh, or 2,570 times in scripture. It's the very first name for God found in the Bible. In fact, it's used 35 times in chapter 1 of Genesis. In the beginning, God. And God said, let there be. And God said, that's the word that's used. Elohim. He is the creative word of God. And so the very first identification of who God is in scripture is the name Elohim. Over 2,500 times this name is used. David understood God in those terms. And when he began to pray, he was praying to his creator God, the God who spoke it all into existence. And regardless of what our need is, he can supply it even if he doesn't have anything to start with. Say, I don't know where this is going to come from. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I tell you what, Israel was about 3 million people strong and they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. They never missed a meal because he rained manna from heaven. He is the Elohim this, this this evening. God, if he doesn't have it, he can make it. Hallelujah. That's pretty exciting if you need a miracle. I remember a student that went to college with us and a testimony of how they were fleeing before the communists from Latvia and serving the Lord, loving the Lord and a father who didn't know how he was going to feed his children. They were away from stores, away from homes, away from everything. And he prayed and God said, God, I don't know how I'm going to supply the need for my family. And when he got up from his knees and moved about 10 paces, there was a freshly baked loaf of bread. Now that may stretch your faith a little bit, but I believe that our God is the bread of life and he can supply where there's nothing to supply from there wasn't anything until he spoke it into existence and so what david is doing he is coming to a god the bible says if we come to him we must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that will diligently seek him yes but Yes. Yes, and that's that's an important uh, understanding for us, and it it ca- carries right straight through the first chapter. This is a plural name, and so that if there's any question about the Trinity or Godhead, that helps us to to uh, separate that. Later on in that first chapter, he says, "Let us." make man in our image, okay? Elohim, plural, Godhead. And so it says, uh, lest they become as us in the second chapter. In the Tower of Babel about uh, four or five chapters or so later on, uh, let us go down and confuse their tongue. And again, that plural is used. When Isaiah saw the vision, that he did of the Lord and finally the cold touched his lips and and he volunteered to go or at that moment whom shall I send and who will go for us us Us. not for me but for us Elohim and uh, that is a plural statement of God mysterious as it is the Lord our God is one Lord and yet he is uh, marvelous in three persons, the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. David understood that dimension about God. Jehovah is the most used. Over 6,000 times in scripture, he has identified in large capital letters. When you see the word Lord, large capital letters, all the letters capitalized, it is generally translated from the word Jehovah. and. Uh, Uh, It comes from a verb, H-A-V-A-H, which means simply to be or being, all right? And uh, if you put a C in front of that, that's the Hebrew word for life or live. So God is the everlasting existing one, just he is. And uh, when Moses was asking, who will I tell Pharaoh that has sent me? And the Lord tell, told him to tell them, I am that I am hath sent you. God simply is. And uh, it means to be or being. So David, when he was praying, understood God lives in the ever present. Hallelujah. Unchanging God. The Bible says in him there is no variableness. There's no changeableness. Neither is there any shadow of turning. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whatever we read about in this book that God was able to do He's still able to do. Why? We come to Jehovah. Hallelujah. We come to the one who is life. Be or being his existence right in this present moment. Salvation. Now, that present instant, now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation. I'm glad for that. I'm glad that Tuesday that was the way it was. When this gentleman walked into pastor's office at that moment that was God's living being present moment for salvation. Hallelujah. Right in this service Jehovah is here. The one who is the living unchanging. God is here. Hallelujah. And so David understood God in his being. Unchangeable. Adonai, you'll notice, usually is in capital L, small letters. The rest of the letters are, are not capitalized, only used about 300 times uh, in the Old Testament. It has to do with ownership or with mastery. uh, Usually in the plural possessive tense. My lords. My lords. Or my master. Same word. King of kings. Lord of lords. That second one. Uh, Possessing or mastership, ownership uh, is identified here. So he had a good concept of who God is. And if we're going to pray, we need to understand uh, that we're coming to a God of great glory and power and ability, a God who can indeed do miracles. If you need one, you have to come to a God that you believe can do it for you. And if you're not really convinced in your soul in the ability of God to do exceeding abundant above all you could ask or think of, then you're going in with a weaker faith than you need to. We need to come with our eyes firmly fixed on a concept of who our God is. And that He really is. We must believe that He, what's the word? Was, is, believe that he is, present tense, right in this moment, our God is, Jehovah being, that he lives and is certainly able, uh, is the master of life and of circumstances and ability to minister whatever grace we need. Now he had some convictions about his person and about his plenitude. And we'll look at verse five, thou art Lord, art good. And uh, he understood that about God, that's worth underlining there. Ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And he says, uh, verse 15, Thou, Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. He was convinced about God's person and he was convinced about God's plenitude. There was enough, and he was coming to a God confessing that he was good and that there was plenty with him. Verse 10, he talks about his power. For thou art great and dost wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Hallelujah. Do you talk to God that way? When you pray, is that how you pray? I think there's a real lesson there. Sometimes we just say, oh God, and there's no real concept about anything in our mind. It's just kind of a a word formula to get us into the information part of the letter. It's just kind of like, dear sir, and we hurry right into the body of the letter. I've got this and this and this, and this is my shopping list, and sincerely yours, amen, kind of at the bottom. But I think there's a, there's a, a similar lesson that Jesus was teaching when he taught his disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first part of David's praying was a verbalizing of his belief in God in god the elohim in god jehovah in god Adonai, he was saying god i'm coming because i believe you exist i believe you're the the power of creation i believe you're the master of all the circumstances i believe you're the elohim the jehovah you're the Adonai, and i'm coming to you in faith god i'm believing in you i'm trusting in you and i think our prayer life must embody a faith in God and verbalize our faith in the Lord before we ever get down to the meat of the problem and say now here it is Lord here's why I'm coming to you because I believe in you I believe in you and, uh, and there's, there's a, not just a praise but an understanding and believing that he is before you can ever believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek hallelujah he's jehovah tonight he's jehovah when you pray look to him as jehovah he's still the elohim praise the lord he's still the adonai for us for our lives too hallelujah praise god aren't you glad for the holy spirit and when you don't know how to pray or what to ask for he does it for you makes intercession through us and for us. He knows what is the will of God and and, uh, prays according to the mind and the will of God. Sometimes it's difficult for us to wade through our own feelings and understand what God really is trying to do. I'm persuaded a lot of Christians are burning the wick, not the oil. You won't burn the wick too long until you won't have a wick anymore, but if you keep oil, just burn the oil. You won't burn nearly so much of the wick. Amen, amen. I I would just, in that book too, I was reminded of of a, a little analogy that he made. It was just locked into my mind. Cars, automobiles are devalued a bit every day through their use. But he said, Violins grow mellower and more valuable with time and with use. And uh, I wonder which one we are. You know, it kind (laughs) of makes us wonder where do we fit? Are we wearing out, wearing thin, or are we becoming more valuable and more mellow? Uh, and more mature with, your, with age and with youth. I, I think that's the way it should be. I think uh, the older the tree, the sweeter the fruit. Amen. And uh, we heard it on Sunday night, and uh, we heard Daisy testify tonight that you know, the, the fruit's getting sweeter, all you know, the murmuring. Uh, quiets down and the song begins to take its place and uh, I think that's the way it was designed I think that's the way it was designed to be the older more mature the longer we serve him the sweeter it grows. David said I am poor and needy. There there was a a translation from uh, the Living Bible that I liked if I can find it, yeah, verse 1, he said, Lord, I'm in deep trouble. I don't know if you have a living Bible or not, but that's the way he starts out his psalm. His, Lord, I'm in deep trouble. And I don't know if you can identify with him there at all or not, but that brings it down to earth. Somebody says the Lord helps those who helps themselves. Well, you haven't read the scripture. The Lord helps those who can't help themselves. He helps the destitute And I've got scripture for that. Psalm 102, verse 17, he said, I will regard the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. He doesn't just help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. And I'm glad he does. Yes, but... Yes. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yes. Oh, that's super. Thank you, bud. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And he is exalted. God has exalted him. And given him a name. And he is the Master. He is the Lord. Not if we make him so, he is. So it's not a matter of our making him Lord, whether we recognize it or not.